Okay, how's everybody doing? Good. You guys ready to uh, do a little Bible study today? Yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna look at the man in the Old Testament named Joseph, which I think is going to be a really uh, great talk for us and uh, a great study in the Word of God. Uh, you know, uh, I, I was making note as I was reading through the book of Genesis, uh, getting started on the, the uh, Bible in a year, so I started at Genesis, that uh, in the first part of the book of Genesis you have uh, different sort of stories about different heroes in the faith, and uh, you have completely different ages that are, rec- uh, that are uh, referenced uh, in, in those guys. You have a guy, uh, Abraham, that says when God called him, he was 75 years old. Now, I'm not 75, so, you know, 75's old. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm 64, used to 64 was old, but now 64 is not old, but 75 definitely is old. You know what I'm saying? You know the way that goes. And then you go along a little bit later and you have Noah. And uh, Noah has uh, a young family, you know, probably. Uh, he had three sons that were sort of in their younger, uh, you know, 20s or something like that. So you have uh, Noah that's probably in his 40s or something like that. And then you come along and we're going to meet Joseph and we're going to see the story about him. Go, go ahead and turn your books in the book of uh, Genesis and we'll read a little bit. And then we'll make some observations as we go along. Joseph is eventually going to become the Prime Minister of Egypt. He's going to become one of the most powerful people in all the the world of his day. But when we're going to look at him here, we're going to look at him as a younger man. Genesis 37 is where we're going to pick up things. We're going to find him as a younger man. It says he's 17 years old. So for all my teenagers down here on the front row, uh, you know, you may not be 17, but you may be 15 or, you know, whatever. You're, you're in the range of the age that we're going to uh, pick up with Joseph uh, in, in his life. And the title of the sermon today is Joseph Preparing for Greatness. Because we're going to look at two events in his life that happen that I think prepare him for what's going to happen down the road. Now, he had no idea what was going to happen in his life any more than you know what's going to happen in your life. We don't know. We don't know if we're going to be great. We don't know if our life is going to have suffering. We don't know if our life is going to be a life of tremendous impact or whether, you know, it'll be something else. Right? None of us know what's going to happen in our life. Joseph didn't know either. But down the road, all of us want to believe... That we're going to do something that's important, right? Don't you think that about your life? I want to do something that's going to be important. And maybe that something is being a good mom. Maybe that something is being a good dad. Maybe that something is is something that in in, uh, the overall scheme of the world isn't awesome, but it's great success in the little world that we have, that we live in. And that we're going to have an impact on something, in somebody's life, in our life. I think this is going to happen with Joseph, and we're going to see that it does. But what happens that we look at, I think, sets him up for success down the road. And isn't that the way life often is? Is that things happen in our life, and we don't realize at the time that this is setting me up. And we look back in hindsight and we realize, oh, okay, it was important that happened in my life because it got me ready for what I'm dealing with now. A lot of us, we've lived long enough to know that, right? 
That we, we look backwards in life and we're like, okay, that was important, that was important because it set me in the right place, it changed my mind on this, or, or, or that kind of a thing. Let's pick up the story in chapter 37 and uh, in verse 2. It says, this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, so that's how we know he's 17, was tending the flocks of his, uh, with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and... He brought their father a bad report about them. So let's just stop right there. So Joseph is the youngest son uh, of the sons that are around right now. There's actually going to be another one born a little bit later. Uh, Benjamin is going to come along. But he's sort of the younger boy. He is the favored son of his father. And what does he do here? He brings his dad a bad report about his older brothers. Now, some of you, you know, uh, are thinking already, you realize the dynamics of family. When the younger kid, who's sort of the favorite kid anyway, comes and gives a bad report to the parents, how do the older children feel about it? (laughs) Not good! The little wart, what is up with him? You know, that's what they're saying. In verse 3, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other brothers, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw how his father loved him more than them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So you have some great family dynamics going on uh, in this family, if, if you know what I mean. Well, hang on, it's only going to get better. Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. Oh my, the story only gets better. And he told his brothers, Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this in mind. And so this is sort of setting things up of what's going to happen down the road uh, with Joseph in his life, and you'll see how this all fits in. Now let me go backwards a little bit. Look in your New Testament to the book of Romans chapter 15. There's a reason why we actually look at stories in the Bible, and and you have the Old Testament. You know, for a lot of you, the Old Testament is sort of uh, scary and dark, and you know, you don't want to go there. Uh, if, if you know what I mean. Uh, and you're a little confused as, you know, well, what's, what's all this about in the Old Testament? Well, the, the New Testament actually tells us in Romans 15 here, Paul, as he's writing to the church in Rome, he says in verse 4, he says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. 
And so Paul says here that the reason these things were written is sort of to, uh, to teach us and to guide us along the way. Another passage very similar to that is First Timothy, or First uh, Corinthians, rather, chapter 10. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the, the chapter begins, he talks about what happened uh, you know, back with the, the Exodus, which is going to happen years ahead of what we're studying in, uh, in Genesis. But, and, and, and he makes some observations of things that happened. Um, let's pick it up in verse 6. He says, now these things occurred as examples, or types, examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil as they did. And he gives three examples here. He says, uh, do not be idolaters like they were. And he comes on down in verse 3. He says, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And then the third one is in verse 9. We should not test the Lord as some of them did. And so he gives these three examples of things that happened during the Exodus. And then in verse 11 he says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And so he says here that the Old Testament stories are are written as examples or types so that we can sort of look at what happened in those people's lives and realize this is what I need to do or this is what I I don't need to do or I don't need to become um, in, in my life. So reading about Joseph is filling in the the gap here a little bit of, okay, what can I learn from Joseph that might help me in my life? Now going back to uh, to Genesis, and we'll get there in a few minutes and and read a little bit more. But that actually brings me to point number one here. I've got two different points here of what is is preparing Joseph for this future role of, of tremendous power and influence in the world that he's going to be having down the road. Of course, he has no idea he's going to have that. But this first story is a really important story for us to learn. This is a type. This is an example. And here's the lesson. He learned to show respect. What Joseph did to his brothers was unbelievably disrespectful. Now he's just a young guy. He doesn't really understand that at that time. You know, one of the, the, uh, the pitfalls of being young is you haven't lived long enough and sometimes to, to have examples in your life of making mistakes. You will eventually if you live long enough. There's no doubt about that. But it's a young person, you're like, well, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if I've made a bunch of mistakes, and so I don't know if I've learned a bunch of things. But if you live a little bit longer, you look back and you realize, wow, that was really a bad mistake. And this thing of learning to show respect, Joseph down the road is going to lead the government of Egypt, which is the most powerful country of that part of the world, or perhaps the world, of that time. He's going to be dealing with the Pharaoh on probably a daily or consistent basis. Now, I, didn't, now I, I don't really know. I've never dealt with a Pharaoh. But I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking that you need to learn how to show respect if you're dealing with the Pharaoh. Yeah. If you know what I'm saying, right? right yeah. And if you're dealing with all kinds 
of other government officials that are powerful people, military people, government people, and all those kind of things. You better learn how to show some respect. I want you to do a little bit of analysis of yourself right now. Put the mirror up in front of you. Don't think about the person next to you. That's always a temptation. Put the mirror up in front of you. Are you good at showing respect to people? Give you a moment to uh, do a little self-diagnostic here. We know Joseph wasn't. All of his older brothers. Hey guys, I had a dream. And in my dream, all of you are bowing down to me. <laughs> you know, that's one of those, if you had that dream, keep it to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> no, one, no one really wants to hear that dream. But you, it encourages you. You're fired up. And then he goes one step further. I had another dream. Mom and dad are bowing down with you guys to me. Isn't really very good at showing respect. How are you at showing respect? Let's look at a couple passages in the Bible about showing respect. Look over to 1 Peter chapter 2. I told you to go back to Genesis, but we, we didn't. I, I faked you out. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. A couple passages about showing respect. 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Now, we're actually going to get down to verse 17, which says, show proper respect to everyone. But we're going to start up in verse 13 to sort of fit the context here of what he's saying, because all this sort of fits into the idea of showing respect. It says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether it be the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. And then here it is. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Now, let's just think for a minute. In the, in the normal goings-on of your life, who should you show respect to? Well, it says everyone there, doesn't it? Yeah. It says show proper respect to everyone. How do you feel when someone treats you respectfully? Good. Do you like that person? Yeah. We like people who treat us respectfully. Now, let's just sort of do the opposite of that. How do you feel if someone treats you disrespectfully? Not good? That ticks you off, right? That annoys you. That pushes your buttons. And so in the daily running of your life, who should you go out of your way to make sure that you are being respectful to? I know everyone, but let's fill in some blanks. What do you think? Okay, you guys down on the front row. Who should you show respect to? Your parents. Why? Okay, they raised you. 
Yeah, because if you want money, they're not going to give it to you. <laughs> okay, your parents uh, uh, is a good one. How about some of you guys out in there? Who should you deserve respect to? I'm sorry? To your, your spouse, your husband or your wife. Right. Okay? How about your teacher at school? Is it important? Is it important to show respect to your teacher? Have I, I told you guys a story about the only D I got in college. You remember that story? Some of you don't remember that story. Freshman year. Freshman psychology, big room, about like this, full of, of, of people, and I'm one of the guys out there, and the teacher's going on and on, and she's teaching, nice lady, I really liked her, and, uh, but she got on talking about uh, the uh, reactions of, of humans and how they parallel the reactions oftentimes of animals, and uh, I'm out there, and I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking, What? <laughs> That didn't make any sense. So I raised my hand. I said, are you saying that I think like a dog? And she said, well, something to the effect, I don't remember word for word, it's been a long time ago, but something to the effect of, well, not in every single way, but yeah, in some ways that's true. And here we go, freshman Marty. I said, well, you may think like a dog, but I don't. Now, let me, let me assure you of what happened. Prior to that time, I was one of several hundred people in one of her classes that all had several hundred people in it. But you know what happened right then? She knew who I was. And she knew my name. And guess what happened at the end of the semester? I was right on the line between a C and a D. And guess what I got? I got a D. Now my dad was an educator and his saying was, Fuqua's don't get D's because D stands for dumb. And we ain't got no dumb Fuqua's. Well, evidently I was. Hey, I'll tell you what, you know, you should show respect to everybody, show respect to your teachers. And in many cases, and my story, a bad story about me, but it illustrates when you don't respect people, it likely is going to come back and it's going to cause you a problem. A few weeks ago, we went to visit uh, over Christmas to Dallas and we went to visit my son and uh, his new uh, baby and, and uh, Maria and her husband flew in from New York City with their young child. And at the end of that time, uh, we were taking the rental car back at the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, airport. And I'm driving down the road. And all of a sudden, I see a cop. In my rearview mirror. I pulled the car over, and I'm telling you, I was respectful, respectful, respectful. <laughs> 
Chris made good advantage of her, her recent surgery and, and put her foot up on the dash. <laughs> and, and, said, and said, Officer, he's just trying to get me home because I just had her surgery on my foot. Oh, I mean, we, we are showing major respect. Because, you know, if he wants to, he can give me a ticket. If he wants to, he can say, I'm just going to note this and go on your way. Thankfully, he just said, you need to slow down, uh, no big deal, uh, but, but, you know, quit speeding. I'm like, oh, yes, officer, yes, officer, yes, officer. <laughs> show respect. Why, why, why do you show respect to people? You should show respect to everybody. But people, I'm telling you, if you don't learn the lesson of showing respect, you are going to pay in your life. You are going to have trouble after trouble after trouble in your life. Because of this very thing, this lesson he learns as a teenager that's going to serve him later on as one of the most powerful people in the world. You learn to show respect to people. It's a tremendous lesson that you must learn in life. Okay, now, turn back to Genesis. I'm I'm real true this time. This time in verse 39, or chapter 39. Genesis 39. So the first lesson, and we only have two here. I got two things for you. What's preparing him for greatness? Number one, he learned to show respect to people. And we can learn that lesson, need to learn that lesson in life. Okay, now, we're going to pick up his life a little bit later. He's been he's been sold by his brothers into, into slavery, basically. And in chapter 39, verse 1. The story picks back up. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, so this is a powerful man, bought him from the Ishmaelites. His brothers sold him to the Ishmaelites, which are like traders that that took him down, and they sold him uh, into slavery in, in, uh, in Egypt. And Potiphar buys him. It says the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of, the, of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. This is an unbelievable story, isn't it? This young boy is is sold into slavery by his brothers. The guys that he sells, uh, that they sell him to, the Ishmaelites, put him up for for sale in Egypt. Potiphar buys the dude. Now he's a slave in Potiphar's uh, own ownership. And Potiphar notices about him, everything this guy seems to touch turns to gold. Everything he does... It goes well. And so he gets more and more and more authority in Potiphar's uh, 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 home and in his estate and, and all that was going on to the point it goes on here. Look what it says. It says, uh, Joseph found favor in, in his eyes. He became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. He entrusted to his care everything he owned. From that time, 
he put him in charge of his household, all that he owned. And the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. And so he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Wow. What a story. Favorite son gets betrayed by his brothers, sold for the, slave, uh, for, for, the, for the price of a slave to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites drag him down to Egypt. And Egypt, he's bought by Potiphar. Potiphar notices, man, this, this guy's remarkable. This guy's talented. This guy, everything he touches goes great. In the house or out of the house. I'm thinking that Potiphar is getting wealthier and wealthier and wealthier because of Joseph. Everything's working great. All the problems he used to have with all of his household, everybody's getting along. Everybody's happy. We're making money. And Joseph is right in the middle of it. And everything is going great. Now I love this little statement right here. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. We don't know exactly what that means, but we can sort of picture. He's well built and handsome. So he's not only talented, he's a good looking kid. You know what I mean? And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. Why? (laughs) Because he was well built and handsome. And also because, undoubtedly, Potiphar went off to take care of whatever duties he had in the government, probably on a daily basis, and and Joseph was there, and she was there, and Potiphar was off, you know, with Pharaoh and doing whatever they were doing. So Joseph uh, took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Notice the the subtle effort here uh, (laughs) on her part. So she says, uh, hey, you know, uh, I, I want a little bit of that. But, uh, <laughs> I'm just reading the Bible, folks. But he refused. Now he has three reasons here why he refuses. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. That's number number one reason. Hey, your husband, my master, has put me in charge of everything here and I'm busy doing what he has asked me to do. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. He says, number two, you're his wife. Number one, I'm in charge of everything here. Number two, you're the guy's wife. This is not right for these two reasons. And he's going to give him a third reason. 
He said, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now who is there telling him that this is a sin against God? Nobody! This is what he learned from his home life. This is what he learned when he was at home with mom and dad and the older brothers. Being people of God, he learned from a a young age, hey, there's some things that are right and there's some things that are wrong. And adultery is wrong. Being with another man's wife is wrong. He is way away from mom and dad. But this has been implanted in him. He knew it was wrong. You know, it's amazing in my life, how many times in my life, I know something's right or it's wrong because of things that I've learned in the Scriptures, things I learned at home. Some things just seem morally right or wrong. I'm convinced that most times in lives, most people know whether something is right or wrong, whether they have a big Bible background or were raised in that kind of an atmosphere or not. I think most people have a sense, this is wrong. It is morally not correct to do this or to act in that way or to do that kind of a thing. Now you can say, well, I I don't know, a lot of people don't have that and maybe they have a hard conscience or whatever. But we we do know this, Joseph knew it was wrong. So he says, there's three reasons, woman, that, that, that this isn't going to happen. Your, your husband put me in charge of everything, but not you. Number two, you're his wife, and that's wrong. And, and, and number three, I know this would be a sin against God. It says he, he refused. How could I do this thing? And in verse 10 it says, although she spoke to Joseph day after day. This is happening daily. This is, this, is a, this is a repeated event that goes on. This is not something that happened once. This is something he is, he is living in now, a circumstance that, that is in one sense phenomenally awesome, in another sense every day he is facing something that he knows is wrong. Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. I wonder if that wasn't maybe set up. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, This Hebrew has been brought here to make sport of us. He came here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard my scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Interesting, the cloak was in her hand earlier. Now she said, oh, no, he left it beside me. She's, she's amending her story to make her look as good as possible to the other household student uh, uh, servants and, and probably her husband eventually. She kept the cloak beside her until her master came home. Then she told them this story. This Hebrew slave you brought to us, to me, to, to make sport of me. Uh, but soon, as soon as I screamed for help, he left the cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife 
was telling him, he said, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. Now it's interesting he put him in prison. He had the authority to execute him. I wonder if he didn't put him in prison because he knew in his heart of heart what had happened. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, this is amazing, the Lord was with him. And showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he made responsible for all those who, did, who were, uh, that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Yep. So, I mean, he gets thrown in prison and in, in any time, he's running the place. <laughs> and, and so, you, you have this, this second phenomenal story that happens in Joseph's life. The first one that in his young life that sets him up for success down the road was that he, he learned to show respect. The second one here is that he learns to, to run from sin. He learns to run from it. You know, this is a, uh, actually a theme in the, in the Scriptures uh, about fleeing from sin. Run from sin. Get away from it. Uh, I want to show you a couple of those. Look over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This idea of run from or flee from. In 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. Um, Paul here is writing to Timothy, of course, and he's teaching about many things in life. Um, and he gets on to, to money and, and, and greed. And in, in verse 6, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root, not the root, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's interesting the terminology he uses. They, they wander from the faith. They, they, they eventually walk away from the faith in, in the context of what he's talking about here because of the love of money and trying to go after money. But in verse 11, But you, man of God, he says, Hey, Timothy, but you, my son, listen to me. Flee from all this. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and endurance. And he goes on and he says, fight the good fight of the faith. He says, flee from it. Run away from it. Get away from it. There's times in life, there's circumstances in life that everybody's going to face where you need to get away from it. You need to get out of there. Because if you stay, you're going to pay the price. And you're going to pay a heavy price. A heavier price than you all, than you probably can ever imagine. And, he, and Paul uses that same uh, uh, terminology. Flee from it. Run from it. Get out of here. React. Move. Joseph left his cloak in her hand. I mean, she literally grabs him. And he's wiggling out of it. Get me out of here. And he runs out. There's times in my life, there's times in your life where you need to get out, move, run, flee. 
is the, the terminology that's used. Look over at 1 Corinthians 6. It's another passage that uses the exact same terminology. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18. It says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are, uh, are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. He uses the same wording. Flee. Get away. If you're being tempted, you know you're in a tempting situation, you feel it happening in your life, it's time to get out of there. It's not time to hang around. It's time to move and get out. You're going to have, if you've not already have, you will have again in your life a circumstance where you realize this is not right. This is not godly. This is not where I need to be. Get out! You say, well, I'll embarrass myself. Then embarrass yourself. Get out of that circumstance that you've allowed yourself to get in in life or that maybe you, did, you weren't really even... It just happened. All of a sudden, bada boom, bada bing, and you're in that circumstance. Well, fine. Flee and get out. These two things set up Joseph for success down the road. He learned a lesson, I think, of these two things. And it made him successful down the road. I read an interesting article this morning called The Seven Lessons That Have to Happen in a Person's Life Before They're Successful. Wow. Number one, pain. Number two, you want to quit. Number three, you lose relationships over what you're doing. Number four, people will discourage you. Number five, you'll be hated. Number six, you will doubt yourself. And number seven, you will fail. And what's number eight? Success. Success. (laughs) Wow. Pain. You want to quit. You'll lose relationships. People will discourage you. You'll be hated. You'll doubt yourself. You'll fail. And then you'll succeed. That. Is that not an incredible insight into getting to the point where we're successful? And you plug that into Joseph's life. So much of those things that, that this writer, who probably doesn't know the story or have any idea of the story of Joseph, so many of those things were things that happened in Joseph's life. For him to eventually get there. Everybody's life is a journey. No one journey is exactly like the other. 
Nobody knows exactly what's going to happen in their life tomorrow. We may think we do. We certainly plan that we want some certain things to happen and we want certain things to, to come about in our life, but we don't really know. We know what happened yesterday. We don't want pretty much what's happening today. But if you're going to be set up for success down the road in your life, these two things I think are crucial. Yep. You want to graduate from college? Learn to show respect. Learn to run from sin. You want to be a good husband someday? You want to be a good wife someday? You want to have a good family someday? Learn to show respect. Learn to run from sin. You want to have a good career someday? You want to live a life that you can be proud of? Learn to show respect. And learn to run away from sin. It's amazing. Whatever your goal down the road that you define as success in your life, The lessons from Joseph's early life that set him up for what's going to happen later in his life are lessons that fit into our lives, my life, your life, uh, just like they did in his life. I hope you've enjoyed our study of the Scripture this morning and and it has a good uh, impact on your life. I hope you walk out a little bit today thinking about that. Okay, I need to show respect. I need to run from sin. If you don't have anything any more than that that you get out of this, that's good. You got the, the, the main idea. What do I need to do this week? I need to show respect and I need to run from sin. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Let's have a great week.